0: Hello, I'm Angus Scott, and this is The Debrief. Thanks for finding us again. The transfer window is over for another summer, but that doesn't stop us talking to Fabrizio Romano. Reflections on a mad, record-breaking European summer in a moment. But as the transfer window closes, at the same time has the patriarchal domination of football been shut down as well? That's our talking point today. Has football reached its Me Too moment? Ben Jacobs, as ever, is with me. Ben is back in the country, although still on transfer duty, Ben, because uh, I believe the <laughs> Saturday window doesn't close until Friday.
1: Yeah, I'm on watch. I don't think he will go anywhere, <laughs> but it closes on the 7th of September. So 8th of September, I'll be fast asleep. But for now, still in transfer mode. But looking forward to talking about this. Also disappointed we have to talk about yeah. this. But I do think that it's important to have the conversation off the back of the Women's World Cup and the fallout that we've seen in Spain. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's why we're pleased to say that also with us today is broadcast journalist Semra Hunter. La Liga TV's Semra has been very strong on her opinions of the Luis Rubiales kiss and has been following what's been going on in Spain very closely. Semra, welcome to The Debrief.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to to be here to to talk with you, albeit it would have been under... um, Much nicer circumstances, I would have hoped. But unfortunately, here we are. And as Ben says, I think it is a very important topic to discuss. So that's what we're going to do.
0: Semra, how do you react to the Spanish president, um, Rubiales, coming out with more comments over the weekend, saying he's advancing feminism? I am the victim of an unprecedented political and media lynching.
2: Well, on the one hand, I can't say I'm at all surprised that he's continuing to double down for anyone who actually saw that extraordinary press conference that he gave, or speech rather, in that assembly within the Federation when everyone thought he was going to step down, but in fact, he did quite the opposite and he just really dug deep and said, no, actually, I'm staying and I'm fighting this until the very end. Well, this statement very much uh, stays in the same vein as to what he was talking about in that assembly for anyone who saw it, anyone who read the transcript. So for me, it's no surprise. I mean, people who know him, who have worked with him, who've had to deal with him, all say that his ego knows no bounds, that he has an incredible amount of arrogance and entitlement. And he truly believes that he is the victim, which is why there's so many women who have been actual real victims of sexual aggression and assaults who are so deeply offended by what he says and how he says it. And they all say this is textbook um, narcissism. This is textbook abuser in the way how he's trying to gaslight not just her, not just Jenny and also, but I think all of us by trying to tell us that what we saw with our own eyes, um, well, apparently it's not what we think it is, according to him. And so... I think in that sense, it's just kind of a bit irritating that he's still pushing on with this narrative. And it's a bit exhausting that he's continuing to push on with this narrative because here in Spain, everyone is so much on the side of Jenny Hermoso and they're so supportive of her that it's just very strange. I mean, I've never seen something like this in Spain where such a sensitive topic has actually been so heavily Um, leaning towards one side. Normally you have a fairly split opinion on these kinds of things, but by far Spanish society has been in Gianni Hermoso's corner. So it's only caused a little bit more, I think, disturbance as well, given that the administrative courts on Friday did in fact decide not to suspend him, even though he is suspended by FIFA. But it's just brought about more anger and frustration that people feel as though the government aren't acting the way that they should. They're not taking it maybe as seriously as they should. But, of course, this is far, far from over.
0: Yes, it was really interesting what you say, because Spain's highest court, just to clarify this, which deals with issues related to sports law, on Friday decided Football Federation president Luis Rubiales' forced kiss with forward Jenny Hermoso did not constitute a very grave violation of Spanish law. So that's how they put it. It wasn't very grave. It's the feeling that they're out of touch as well.
2: That's the thing. That's the crazy thing about this. Yes, the answer is very much yes to what you asked. The reason being is that there is a new sports law that they have been developing, but it's not completed as of yet. So they can't actually refer to that law until it's fully instated. So what they have done instead is use a law that was established in the 90s. And in the 90s, according to this law, because they were judging him on two things, not just kissing Johnny Hermoso, but also the crotch grabbing in the, in the presidential box, they saw that as a serious misconduct, whereas an abuse of power is considered a very serious misconduct. But they didn't feel as though his overall actions and behaviors together constituted a very serious misconduct, thereby he cannot actually be suspended because it's just serious misconduct. To me, the crazy thing is that there's even some kind of hierarchy in terms of whether it's serious, very serious, and so on. I mean, to me, it should be fairly black or white, But and I feel a lot of people in Spain feel the same way and potentially going forward with this new sports law, that would be the case. But it does feel as though it's it's a missed opportunity because so many people were really hoping that there would be justice for Daniel Hermoso in this particular um, situation, but the CSD, which is the court below the TAD, the TAD is the administrative one that you mentioned that made this decision, the CSD below them, the president said on Friday that they are going to continue to pursue a suspension. Because of the ruling that they gave him, however, if ever he is to be banned by Spanish government, It's only a maximum now of two years. So FIFA is a whole separate thing in parallel. They're also looking into this and potentially, as reports have been coming out of England, they might actually even be looking to suspend them for up to 15 years. So that could happen as well. But it's it's definitely been a ruling that has upset a lot of people. And I think that's probably why he also felt as though he could come out again with so much confidence in reiterating what he's been saying this whole time because he released that statement hours after the tad uh, confirmed that they were not going to be suspending him
0: ben do you feel that, that the sense that fifa has given him a 90 day ban there's a feeling they want spain to deal with this themselves um, and and get rid of him and then fifa don't have to do anything then it then it's out of their hands they've ju- they've just done the the limit of just giving him a 90 day ban
1: not necessarily. I mean, in fairness to FIFA, they've opened disciplinary proceedings, and the point of the ban from FIFA's perspective is whilst those proceedings are ongoing, Rubiales is banned to allow the Ethics Committee to ultimately continue their investigation. So we will see some scenarios, and there's precedent for this, where FIFA do like to wait, and as you allude to, see whether anything happens outside of the football community, and then reflect that or take it into account with their ruling and clearly what we would see if, for example, the National Court in conjunction with Jenny Hermoso were to start criminal proceedings for an alleged offence of sexual assault at that point the FIFA investigation would likely stay on ice determine whether or not there's any criminal repercussions and then deal with the matter within football circles so we do have to understand that this is now a very complicated situation Mm. because Rubiales has created a storm that annoyingly is overshadowing the most Mm. incredible story on the football field of the Spanish women's national team, winning the Women's World Cup against, in so many ways, all the odds. And as a result of that and Rubiales rubbing salt in the wound and saying Mm. over and over and over again that he will not quit, we now have a situation where it isn't only one body looking at this. Mm. You've got football dealing with it. You've got the Spanish administrative courts dealing with it. You've got potential allegations that pertain to criminal offences. You've got the wider fallout within cultural society, particularly in Spain. There's a lot of moving parts. And then at the same time, let's not forget, you've got the other big issue, which is the general culture within Spanish football, particularly their treatment of the women's national team players, which started before Rubiales, and this is what I want to ask you, Samra. When we saw Rubiales celebrate in the immediate Mm. aftermath, it wasn't just the kiss on the lips, which was obviously entirely inappropriate regarding Jenny Hermoso. He was there smiling, over-celebrating, being over-exuberant, and to begin with, you say, fine, he's entitled to do that because they've just won the World Cup, but he's bare hugging everyone. And my sense is that he was reacting in that way to effectively make a point, which was, I'm standing by Jorge Vilda. And that's the other scandal that I'm talking about in all of this. Before Rubiales got into all of this hot water and took the moment away from the Spanish women's national team, we had all of the complaints against Jorge Vilda and Rubiales and the Spanish FA stood by their coach. He wins the World Cup. And then you see that reaction almost to say, we were right. I told you so. And I think that's what triggered all of this in many ways. Mm. Rubiales feeling like he was entitled to over-celebrate and cross the line because he wanted to make a point that he's a part of this. He's the one that got Spain to win that World Cup in his eyes. And that's the narcissism that you mentioned because he's stuck by his coach in the first place.
2: I would even go one step further. And I completely agree with everything that you just said. And I'll, I'll go back and shine a light on the backstory here in a moment. But I would even go one step further in that his uncle, Juan Rubiales, by the way, if you haven't seen this, I highly recommend that you read it because there was an interview carried out um, last week and he spoke to the media. He's done it before in the past, but he decided to do it again anyway because of the current situation. And you can read it, it's been translated and, and so on as well. But he talks about how Rubiales, Luis Rubiales sees himself as a warrior. He likes to go to war. It's me against everyone else. And that's exactly how he treated this whole situation with the 15 footballers that sent the email to the federation last year, a year ago actually in September now, saying to them that they were very concerned about the methodologies that were put into place by the coaching staff, as well as Jorge Vilda, the main coach. And they spoke about how they were very concerned about their emotional well-being, about their mental health about the fact that they felt they were not being treated seriously enough in terms of a professional setup and that they needed to have um, a more serious outlook whenever it came to treating injuries and preventing injuries. And there was a whole kind of long list of things. But later on, it was also brought to light that they were very concerned about the fact that Jorge Vilda made them feel as though they were being controlled. It would cause a lot of stress and anxiety. For example, when they would go on trips, he would make them leave their hotel rooms unlocked so that he could come in and check at any point in time, that he would go rummaging through their bags to see what it is that they had and what they didn't have, that kind of stuff. And the Federation, intent, instead of actually listening to the concerns that were being raised by these women, they went the complete opposite way. And the reaction was quite awful. Not only did they make it public because this was happening behind closed doors and private, the Federation decided to release a statement, tell the whole world about it. cherry picked certain things from the email that was put forward and then just treated them with such embarrassing condescension and said that they were these uh, capricious little girls. They insinuated that they were blackmailing them and that they had absolute no place coming to represent spain until they issued an apology in short that was kind of the 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 theme of the message and they tried to suggest that they were launching a mutiny against the federation it was horrible and i think a lot of people here in spain including the media were really taken aback by the way that the federation was was so vehemently against these women and actually siding with Jorge Vildat, making him feel as though he was untouchable. And at the top of the lot was Luis Rubianes, showing everyone that he is his right-hand man, that he is not going anywhere. And so you're absolutely right in saying that a large motivation behind his reaction, his over-exuberance, his grabbing of the crotch, as he himself says, he did it looking at Vilda to send the message that you're the man, it is very much to say it's us against them and we won this war. We're the winners here, not the 15 who decided not to come or who didn't want to be part of the Spanish national team. And there are members of the, the 15 who actually in the last week have spoken to the media and very much echo these same sentiments. They, they took the message in the very same way as to say that you know, it's, it's their victory, they feel vindicated, they feel as though they deserve to celebrate however they want. Um, and that they can get away with it, quite frankly, because they've gotten away with everything else up until now.
0: It's a really important point, and we're going to come back to this, but we're going to break off. Uh, Even though the transfer window in Europe is over, we still want to talk to Fabrizio Romano, our transfer guru, and we'll do that and catch up with him now. Fabrizio, great to have you with us again. Look, the European window may be open, but Saudi is still causing problems for some of those European sides. Let's start with Sergio Ramos. We've been talking about the, the Spanish Me Too moment at the moment uh, uh, on the uh, debrief this week. Tell me about Sergio Ramos. A return to Sevilla lightly?
3: Yes, um, this is almost done. I would say Sergio Ramos will play for for Sevilla, and this is something very big, I think, because was completely unexpected till two, three days ago. On Saturday, Alitiad approached Sergio Ramos with a very important proposal, but was not a done deal because Ramos never sent an official uh, answer to Alitiad. He considered that proposal was a two-year contract with a break clause included for summer 2024, a very important salary, more than 15 million euros guaranteed per season. So something uh, huge for for Sergio Ramos, who was also approached by Turkish clubs, because Besiktas, Galatasaray during the summer called the agent of Sergio Ramos his brother to understand the potential conditions of the deal. Ramos always wanted to take his time to find the best opportunity till the end of the transfer window. And then Sevilla on Sunday morning approached Sergio Ramos. Their proposal is obviously uh, way lower than al Ittihad or any other club around the world because Sevilla can't play that, can't pay that money uh, as Saudi clubs are, are paying. But Sevilla can offer something different. Of course, it's a very romantic situation. It's the opportunity for Sergio to return to his club after 18 years. And so after taking two, three hours to think about that with his family and especially with his wife, from what I'm told, his wife was crucial in this decision. He decided to accept the proposal and so he's going to sign today one year contract option for further season and so Ramos is uh, back to Sevilla
0: two or three hours just to make such a big decision okay so that window is still open in Saudi until Friday is Damari Gray going to get his El Etifac move or are Everton going to stand in the way he wants to go there.
3: The uh, Gray wants to go there, wants to go to Al-Shabaab because it's an opportunity for the for the player, from what I'm told, also for the family. You know, this is a very big proposal. And so he wants to take this opportunity. And from what I'm hearing, the conversation between al and uh, and the Gray is very advanced, exactly as the conversation between the Gray and Al-Shabaab was very advanced two weeks ago. And then it collapsed because Al-Shabaab changed some people into the board and they decided to go for Yannick Ferreira Carrasco. So this is why the uh, Gray wants to go to, to Saudi I to accept the proposal from al The problem is Everton because in the last two, three days, Everton decided to reject the proposal from al The player is not happy at all with that. This is why yesterday he decided to post uh, on his social media accounts uh, against Everton their decision to uh, reject any approach from al So let's see how this story will continue in the next days. What I'm sure is that um, Demarei Gray will keep pushing because he wants to go. His relationship with uh, Sean Dyche is, is very bad and so it's probably time for him now to to go and to push and so they will try again to to convince Everton
0: all Liverpool fans want to know is if Saudi Arabia are going to come back from Mohamed Salah is he definitely staying or is there another chance of another itihad bid
3: honestly now Liverpool are very very relaxed about that situation I think from Saudi they will come back because this is something normal for them come back in terms of approaching Liverpool approaching players camp but I think it's not going to be something concrete or something advanced in any case, because Liverpool, honestly, have always been clear when we had all these rumours of medical tests, of done deal, of imminent agreements between Liverpool and the Alitiad for Mo Salah. From Liverpool, they've always sent the same message in public when Jurgen Klopp in the press conferences, but also in private. Every single conversation with people from the club was in the same direction. The player is untouchable. Mo Salah is going nowhere, and so I think selling Salah now would be completely crazy for uh, for Liverpool. They are now uh, finding the right uh, idea also on the pitch with the new players, with this new midfield that they built in the summer. And so to lose a player like Mo Salah would be a shock for the squad. So at the moment Liverpool are Confirming that they have no intention to let Moussa go. My expectation is probably for Saudi sides to return in 2024. In that moment, I think that it's going to be really dangerous because they can return, they can have more time to convince the club, uh, and there is even more time for Liverpool to replace Moussa. Something really impossible in the final days of the transfer window to find a player at the level of of Moussa. And so I think now is very unlikely, almost impossible. But in 2024 is something to keep an eye on because from Saudi they are really in love with. The opportunity to bring more salad there and what's going
0: on with Jadon Sancho is his future really in doubt after a fallout with ten hag because we know that spurs and villa inquired during the summer
3: Yes, there were some opportunities in the summer, but honestly, from what I heard, that was not something concrete or something advanced also because uh, Jadon Sancho wanted to stay at May United uh, to do his best for Manchester United. As he mentioned yesterday in his public statement, he wants to fight for the badge. And so Jadon Sancho's uh, position is very clear. He wanted to stay at May United. And this is one of the reasons why he's still uh, at the club. The situation with Derita Hag is not easy, but not just with Erita Hag uh, it's also with some people from the coaching staff. They were not so happy with his attitude in uh, in training, and this is the reason why uh, Sancho was not part of the squad uh, for the last game against Arsenal. The situation is pretty tense between the coaching staff and Jadon Sancho, but from the player side, they insist on the same on the same position. He wants to play for Meg United, he wants to fight for Meg United, so they expect Jadon Sancho to have a direct conversation with Eriten Hag with people from the coaching staff in the next days, probably this week and to try to clarify the situation. So we will see for the January transfer window, of course, if they will continue like this, I think they will try to find a solution. But at the moment, the idea is still to to continue together. Of course, the public statement yesterday is not helping the player because from United, they are not happy at all.
0: For you, what has been the signing of the summer? Would you say it's a, a Bellingham or a Kane or even a Caicedo?
3: I have no doubt. Uh, I mentioned Jude Bellingham. Uh, for me, Jude Bellingham is not just a signing. He's a masterpiece from Real Madrid. Probably was a bit underrated in the media in the, first two, weeks of the trans- it first two months of the transfer window in June and July because it was like decided at the end of April. In that moment, the player decided to go to Real Madrid but the competition was insane probably we didn't have that kind of feeling on competition of race because it was end of april beginning of may it was not a proper transfer window competition like for caicedo or for other players we had in the summer for bellingham it looked like an easy deal but was not an easy deal at all real madrid had to fight with liverpool with manchester city with very big clubs around europe trying to sign with bellingham but their strategy was perfect and also the timing was something perfect to let the player adapt. It's not easy for English players, especially sometimes, to uh, go to different countries, to have an impact immediately, as Jude Bellingham is doing at Real Madrid. The timing was crucial for Real Madrid to bring the player already in precision, to have the opportunity to adapt, to know the new teammates, to know the new manager, and now we can see immediately the results, because from what I'm hearing, Jude Bellingham is very happy with Real Madrid, with the teammates, with the manager, with the club, but even with the city. He's very happy with the city of Madrid. He's very, very happy with everything at Real Madrid, I think this is crucial. We are seeing his goals, assists, but it's not just about that. I think he's very, very happy with the general situation at Real Madrid. And so for me, Jude Bellingham, still very young player, still 20 years old, is something impressive. And I think this is going to be an historical signing for Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, it's been extraordinary how quickly he's settled in. What would you say has been the craziest transfer of this window?
3: I've ah, been a couple of crazy transfers but my favorite in these uh, in this category is for sure Moises Caicedo. Moises Caicedo deal was was really crazy because Caicedo's been a Liverpool player for almost 11 12 hours. The deal between Liverpool and and Brighton was really done and they prepared all the documents. They were just waiting for the player to travel to undergo medical test and then to announce Moises Caicedo's new club record signing for for Liverpool. So it was something Really close to being completed, and then to see the player deciding something like that in that strong way, because Caicedo sent a very clear message to to Liverpool to Jurgen Klopp directly. That was really really surprising, but not just for the decision Chelsea or Liverpool, but because of the timing. Liverpool were really expecting Moses Caicedo to undergo medical testing to complete the deal. Jurgen Klopp was in public one hour before the player's decision, mentioning this deal as very close. So. You know, to see something like that is very difficult today uh, in, in the transfer window. And that one was completely crazy. So for 48 hours, it was really difficult to cover the Caicedo story because there were many changes. But for Chelsea and Liverpool, was an insane story, I would say.
0: That's why your screen time was so high those couple of days. <laughs> yeah. um, what, was, what would you say as we wrap up, um, Fabrizio, the bargain signing of the summer?
3: I want to mention Alexis McAllister. Uh, for me, this is a great signing by Liverpool. I think they did a very good job in the midfield. Okay, they had that shocking week with Lavi and Caicedo, which probably sent a negative message about Liverpool transfer window to the world, world of the uh, transfer world, the football world. But I think in reality, in the three months, they did a very good job because they have Gravenberg, they have Soboslai, who is a fantastic player. They had Endo on a cheap deal. But McAllister, for a fee which is close to 40 million euros, I think this is something incredible. This is a player for probably 70, 75, 80 millions, and they got him for 35, 40, thanks to that verbal close, including into his contract Brighton. But I think with Gravenberg, McAllister, Soboslai and Endo for a uh, total package around 160, 65 million euros, I think this is a fantastic job to rebuild Liverpool midfield. So congrats to them, because it was not easy at all to replace the fantastic players they had in the midfield, but I think they did an excellent job, especially with McAllister.
0: Fabrizio, uh, as ever, we're really pleased to have you on the debrief. Next week, when we talk to you, I expect you to be on a beach, have a pina colada (laughs) or a beer in your hand, all right, and enjoying some sunshine and actually getting out in the fresh air.
3: Thank you. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. And see you next week.
0: All right. Cheers, Fabrizio. Ciao. That's Fabrizio for another week. He needs to go and have a rest. Uh, Let's come back to our topic of the day. Semra, really interesting what you say. Do you feel that at the core, it's not just Rubiales, um, it's not just the manager, it's actually the whole of the Spanish FA that is poisoned, that is full of machismo, um, that this patriarchal society that we've been talking about is just so dominant within that organisation, that this is its moment that actually might bring it down.
2: Sadly, yes, I do think it's rotten to its core. We're not talking about one bad apple, we're talking about the whole lot. And the reason I say that is because there have been women past and present who have been part of the Spanish national team in the setup, the footballers in particular, who have openly been speaking about this for many, many years. This is not the first time that this has come to light. The problem is that people were just not, you know, listening to them, paying attention, they didn't care enough, they looked the other way. So they never got the support that they were constantly after. I mean, this goes back well over a decade. The first example that I can think of was back in 2015 when the players at the time would talk about um, how their coach would come them along with the federation in general. As you say, it was a systemic issue and it was very patriarchal uh, from the top down, but how they were working and operating in, in an environment which was very toxic. And that was constantly making them feel as though they had to be silenced. That was manipulating them, that was controlling them, that didn't make them feel safe. And they didn't feel as though they wanted to go some of them to represent Spain because of the abuse that they were receiving on a daily basis. And it got to the point where at the time in 2015, they wrote a letter to the Federation asking for the coach to be removed. There was also an issue with rampant homophobia as it related to the coach um, at the time. And so the Federation did nothing. They basically put it in a drawer, forgot about it, didn't listen to them. But it only became a big deal when the media caught wind of it and they made it a huge deal. And so eventually, because of the pressure that mounted externally from society and from the media, the coach did step down. But again, it wasn't enough because there were too many other people who were enablers of that kind of behavior who stayed on board within the federation all the way through up until today. And so it really is a reflection of this established pattern of behavior from so many of them. Obviously, I don't know if we can say it's every single person there, but by the sounds of it, it is the vast majority based on what these, these women have been talking about for so many years. And so I think that's why it has pushed so many people to respond. Now, finally, it's been like a volcano just waiting to erupt. These tensions have been bre- tensions have been brewing under the surface surface for so 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 long now that this really just was the trigger. It was the tipping point, and it's what got everyone to finally sit up, take notice, react, and say, "Enough is enough." And this is a perfect opportunity to remove those that are abusing their power in this particular uh, setup. And it's a perfect opportunity to say, right, let's just raise the Federation to the ground. Let's do a proper clear out and let's bring in people who are actually going to be doing the job justice. And not just that, but treating women's football with respect, with dignity and valuing it and helping it to grow and treating them with equality in the way that they treat the men's team. And just really allowing for a fresh, healthy new change and for a new environment to be established. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to happen as of right now. We're two weeks into this and nothing has really changed. Rubiales is still effectively in his post, even if he is suspended. He can come back to work in about 80 days. Uh, Nobody has been relieved of their duties, while there has been a number of people who have resigned, both from the coaching staff as well as some of the others within the federation, but a very small number, just about six or seven people. So not much has really changed as of yet. But there are certainly a lot of people who want to continue to put the pressure so that significant changes, meaningful changes are actually implemented within the federation, which then can have hopefully a positive spillover effect into wider society and football outside of just Spain.
1: And I think that that's exactly it. Something has to result here in terms of positive change and nothing is going to happen whilst Luis Rubiales is still in position because it's clear that he's decided that, He doesn't think that he's done anything wrong. And it's farcical as well that we are having to look at photographs or video because the Rubiales side are arguing, for example, that Mm. he was lifted by Jenny Hermoso, which somehow is a form of consent within the embrace. And none of that matters. He stood there. And he's bear hugged every single woman that's walked by and he's kissed Hermoso on the lips. And then he's tried to coerce Hermoso to say that there was consent and to effectively be a part of his apology video. Yes. And you have to give Hermoso credit because she's stood up and she has stuck to her position and she's not been forced into in that aftermath of winning the World Cup, mm. trying to, paper over the cracks of totally inappropriate behavior in the moment from Rubiales. And that, I think, is why it sort of led to this Me Too moment, because a series of other players have seen that and realized that it's very difficult for one player to take that position without the wider support. And by getting the wider support from men and women, It's now become a storm against Rubiales. And the only surprising thing is that he doesn't see the writings on the wall because it's (laughs) inevitable that he'll go eventually. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might even take a year or two if he continues to fight in various courts in and outside of football. But he's not going to be able to stay in position because this will only snowball. And the fact that in the build-up to the World Cup, we had 15 players, many of them Champions League winners, that, didn't want to play for the Spanish women's national team. And I think of those 15, it was 12 that didn't go to the World Cup, including, for example, Panos, the goalkeeper, a Champions League winner. And there were many others as well. Then after 81 players, all of the women's World Cup squad, plus others past and present that did not want anything to do with Rubiales or the Spanish FA. And they knew when they signed that co-statement that it would overshadow, to an extent, the celebrations of winning. But they did it because this is more important than only just football. And I think that that tells you there is enough force now Mm. to change the culture of Spanish football, but Rubiales simply has to go. And we should also point out that we've got poor Olga Carmona who scores the winner in the final and her father had sadly passed away and she didn't know that and then after the game she learned that and there was a very sad but lovely moment of solidarity with her that Mm. sort of got subsumed by all of this as well so it's just sad Semrit isn't it that we all know what's going to happen Rubiales will eventually go, mm. we just don't know when, and the longer he stays in situ, the more damage is being done.
2: And sadly, I don't think he really cares. <laughs> I don't think he cares at all. The attitude that he gives off is almost like, well, if I'm going down, you're all coming down with me one way or another. And like I said before, I think it, it, it goes back to his personality and his character. and. Juan Rubiales, uncle, is a perfect example of describing what he's all about, and that he does kind of live in this deluded reality where he thinks that he is invincible, he is untouchable. I mean, for me, it it reminds me of Icarus. He feels as though he can touch the sun and nothing's going to happen to him. And that's because, well, it hasn't (laughs) as of yet. But I agree with you that eventually he will be gone one way or another. But the damage has been absolutely tremendous. The blowback has been tremendous. This is not just about Spanish football. It's it's the reputation of the country that's on the line here as well. I mean, Spain looks terrible. We come out looking terrible from all of this. And the fact that it's taken so long to act and the fact that nobody seems to actually want to make a decision about this, because no one wants to be the one that shoulders that responsibility or that blame. I mean, it's become highly political and politicized as well. And I think it is very sad in a way that this has gone down just in such ugly fashion. But I'm a very optimistic, positive person by nature. And I would really like to think that hopefully now, at least when all said and done, something really positive can come from all of this. And and sadly, maybe it needed something this big to happen in order for people to really start caring about it and wanting to do something about it. Um, Maybe it did need to have this this big moment where you see on the world stage, excuse me, on the world stage, a man abusing his power, so much so to the point that It just shows you how normalized this kind of behavior is in Spain. And that's why I think so many people did react because it really struck a chord. The fact that this happens all the time in the workplace and yet women don't have a voice. They don't have a system whereby they can actually, or a platform where they can go and speak about it, where they can actually be heard, where they'll be believed. A lot of the times they're just humiliated back into silence and they don't have the courage or the strength to talk about it or to tell people what actually happened. And I think when it was such a brazen act of I can do what I want and I can get away with it, that's when people said, right, enough is enough. We're tired of this. This has been going on for far too long. And it's actually created this really nice community of men and women who are standing up to this now, who are saying, we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior before anymore because this machismo The misogyny, the sexism, it's so deeply ingrained in society that a lot of people oftentimes don't even realize that they're doing things or saying things that are completely inappropriate because it's never been pushed back before. It's never been talked about before. And that's why it's opened this huge debate in the country as to what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable anymore. And we can't just continue to go on with this. Well, that's just because, you know, that's how we used to always do it. Therefore, it's, it's OK. We can carry on this way. But actually, you can't. And so, in a sense, it has been really nice to see so many people come together and just say, we do have to do better as a society, as a culture, because this is a very big problem. And it was just, I think, such an insult to so many women out there, the fact that he did do that and continues to insist that there was consent when there clearly was no consent as Jania Moser has repeatedly said, you talk about the coercion as well, making up the false statements, putting it out on her behalf when she never said any of those words, trying to put pressure on her family to convince her to, to join him in the apology. I mean, it just the list goes on of the, the behaviour and the aftermath from the Federation that has just been atrocious. And so I think we are at a really big tipping point in society here in general. You mentioned the Me Too movement, and it really has garnered a lot of speed, a lot of pace, a lot of power, strength. And I just hope that in a sense, we can become better from all of this and it doesn't just fade away. uh, And we do have to somehow keep the momentum going.
1: And I think I would just briefly add to that, Angus, that this can't just be about justice for spain specifically Mm. and getting rid of rubiales it has to be about cultural and foundational change within spain but in a broader sense too because we've seen issues in the build-up to the women's world cup slightly different ones but with the french women's national team we've seen a sexual abuse scandal Mm. with the afghan women's national team which was the head of their federation abusing players and he's now been banned from fifa but there's been no criminal proceedings there so we need to get to a point where we're not just dealing with what we see and who we see ultimately cross a line in this case Ruby Arles. there has to be some consistency both mm. in football and outside of football with how these issues are dealt with so those in women's football are ultimately looking for three really simple things opportunity on the field equality and respect in a broader sense it's those three words and then add a little bit of funding and exposure And you help get yourself quite close to being on an equal playing field. And to do that in this context, if there is a scandal of any sorts, do you deal with it via your federation? Do you deal with it through the FIFA family or the UEFA family if you're a European club? Has your domestic club got any sort of liaison officer? Have you got the same resources on this side As a men's team, do you go outside of football to deal with it? Is there consistency with how it's dealt with? Are there precedents for punishments? Are cases protecting the individuals involved? Or is everything going to get out in the media? This is a bit of an anomaly almost because it happened in plain sight with Mm. millions of people watching it. But a lot of the time, this kind of abuse will happen behind closed doors. And it might be somebody that in the hierarchy of whatever football club you're at, there above you, and it can feel very intimidating for women and men to report it, especially when you know that without that media storm, you might not be believed. And even if you are believed, you're dealing with somebody that might be your abuser, but also might be your juror. And that's the kind of problem with football sometimes that as you make these complaints, for example, within the Spanish FA, who do they go up to? The head of the Spanish FA is involved and knows all of the people making the decisions. So you have to have some kind of system whereby you can report these instances and feel like not only is there a transparency, but also there's a fairness of process. And that might mean that there has to be involvement from more of an independent body rather Mm. than only in the football family. So there's all kinds of questions that this has posed, which is why it has to be about creating change, not just in Spain but outside of Spain, not just about getting Rubiales out of a job.
2: And I think what's also so crazy about all of this as well is that here you have a prime example of, as you rightly say, something that happened in front of millions, and yet here is the victim, Gianni Hermoso, who is still by many not believed and I find that just astonishing. And I think part of the damage as well that Luis Rubiales has been trying to do here in terms of showing himself as a victim and saying that she's the one that offered up consent, it goes back to something that you were saying earlier, how people are trying to justify his actions by saying, look, she lifts him up, or look, she gives him a hug, or look, afterwards in the bus, she's having a laugh and a joke about all of this, etc. She doesn't look upset. She doesn't look as though you know she's been abused okay, these are completely separate things. We cannot be mixing what happened before and what happened after with the actual act itself because it doesn't take away from the fact that this was a man in power, a boss who did take advantage of that and kiss the subordinate, an employee, without her permission. And there very much is an imbalance of power in this specific moment. And she didn't want it to happen. And so you have a lot of people who are looking at, everything else the noise around it as a way of trying to support Rubiales and the saying oh she's a liar see and I think he put her in an impossible situation because she can't win no matter what she does if she pushes him if she punches him if she I don't know whatever pushes him away I mean it doesn't matter how she would have reacted in the moment it was never going to be good enough she always would have been criticized for it And also another thing is that I think women, at least in Spain, and probably in a lot of societies around the world and throughout history, when these kinds of things happen, what are we taught to do? How are we educated? We're taught to not react. We're taught to smile and look the other way, pretend it didn't happen, not make a big deal about it. Why? Because if we try and raise a concern and say, listen, that was not okay. Well, guess what? There's no one there to support us. There's no one there to to actually say yeah you're right this never should have happened because of the patriarchal systems that are in place that have been in place for a very long time and so for me that's a little bit frustrating in a sense and it shows us what a long way we actually have to go that there is a section of society in spain that doesn't see her as someone who is telling the truth i mean that to me just boggles my mind the fact that there are people just refuse to to, to believe whatever she says and so it's, it's an incredibly gray area subject in so many ways, but at the same time, it is very black and white. But I think at the very least, we are having a really important conversation about all of this, which is something that, at least in Spain, we should have had a very, very long time ago. I, I agree. Of, uh, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, Samra, that's something that, that you say, and I, I'm going to say something slightly controversial here, but I think we may look back on this and say it was a good thing that happened, Not because somebody's been abused. I'm not saying that's good in any way. I'm saying that this has expedited the conversation tenfold. This has happened, and I think women's football will change forever now. And not only women's football, but the respect of women in sport will change completely from this moment. And this is the moment that, uh, however painful it is for the women involved, and certainly Jenny Hermoso herself, this is the turning point. And so this has speeded up what was going to happen. The fact that so many players didn't end up going to the World Cup, you feel that that argument was lost hmm. during the World Cup itself, that it may have disappeared, maybe not in Spain, but on a worldwide level. And the fact that that is now at the forefront, that this conversation is continuing, I think is crucially important and that it has Certainly expedited the whole conversation, and means that the game is forever changed. And do excuse the the background noise here. I'm at Biggin Hill Airfield, (laughs) so there is a plane just about to take off. But do carry on.
2: I just very quickly want to say something in response to that. It's interesting that you mention that because actually, in the immediate aftermath before the kiss happens, so between the final whistle, and the women going on stage, the players going on stage to pick up their winners' medals, and the kiss happening. There was actually a lot of talk in Spain and on social media about people being very concerned that those very issues raised by the 15 in the year prior that they would be completely forgotten about, that they would be overlooked, that all of a sudden Rubiales would be looked at as the the greatest president of Spanish Football Federation history, and Vidal would be looked at as this fantastic manager and and the focus would be about that and everything else would have been completely buried away once again. And so, in a sense, I think you're right. I mean, as unfortunate as it is, it never should have happened. In a way, it actually, I think, I hope, has brought about some kind of karmic justice because instead of everyone forgetting about all of that and just reveling in the celebrations, now it is about completely unveiling all the dirty truths that have been there really hidden in plain sight for a very long time.
0: And I think we are definitely in a position. It's interesting. I, I, uh, I didn't know that debate was actually going on in, in Spain at that time as, as they're just a, uh, about to lift the trophy. But I just feel that it, it's, in, in, a, in a horrible sense, it's a positive because I think there is no turning back and we are getting her into a position where we should be. And also the fact that it was such a fantastic tournament. So those two things, side by side, means the game for women and sport for women, I hope, will genuinely change from this moment on.
1: I think you're right. And I think that it's about what happens next, which is obviously... The key in all of this. So Rubiales will go at some point. We know that. It's just a case of how painful it will be and how long it will take and how many mini battles will be necessary first in order to get him out the door. But it will mean nothing if Rubiales goes and others within the Spanish FA are still there and share his mm-hmm. philosophy. It will mean nothing if whoever replaces Rubiales when it eventually happens is the wrong kind of appointment. So how do you get the right appointment? But how do you also put in place the right strategy? And I think that it comes down to a few things in my mind. One is when the storm goes away of FIFA cases and legal cases and accusations against Rubiales and fights from him and hunger strikes from his mother. Once all that goes away. To get the right person in place and the right strategy in place, and Spain have got four years now as they build up to defend their Women's World Cup title, you have to listen to players and involve them in the conversation, because if you don't, then you ultimately lose out on a voice. You have to have a protocol in place for if this happens again. You have to deal with the Jorge Vilda situation. I think the feeling when we're recording this is that he will end up being sacked, But he was there in a room originally clapping Rubiales, as he said, I will not quit not once, but three times. And then a few days later, he suddenly changed his position and said, actually, Rubiales was out of line because he realized that he was fighting a losing battle. And all of the coaching staff, aside from Jorge Vilder, have gone, essentially, I think 11 of them have quit in the process of everything that's fallen out. So Spain doesn't really have a women's national team at the moment. It doesn't have any coaches. It doesn't have any players that want to play. It has a suspended FA president. And you've got four years, which seems like a very long stretch, but you've got four years to build up to that World Cup defence. So for me, it's about where are we going to be in 2027? When they take to the field at that World Cup, how can we create a situation where every single player that wants to be there is there? How can we get to a situation where whoever the president is in four years' time is the right president? And part of that is listening to players. Part of that is having a protocol to report these things and do so before they become these horrible, big issues. So it's not just about reacting, which I think we do too much at the moment with all of these scandals. Something happens, everyone's shocked, and then there's fallout, whereby we're trying to change the system, but the damage is already done. And at the same time, you've still got these old school dinosaurs like Ruby yeah. Rubiales who cannot even look in the mirror and realize they've done anything wrong. But how can we be more proactive and stop these things before they happen? And even though it seems like a strange comparison, when I look at injury prevention in football, look at how the science has changed. So what you now do is you start using data and having conversations to stop an injury before it even happens. And we need to think in a very similar way here with what can we do proactively with the right appointments, with the right structure, with the right system, with the right voices, maybe even with the right funding as well. How can we make sure that everything in advance is done to positively move women's football forwards? Because with the right foundations and the right process and the right deterrence, these things should not be happening. But I'm just still staggered, Semra, because, again, we're talking about how to change the system. And yet what we're dealing with is so... Crazily ridiculous. It's one guy, smug, grabbing a crotch in front of 13 million people globally and kissing a World Cup winner on the lips against her wishes. Two minutes after she's just lifted the trophy. It's absolutely unthinkable that any one individual or federation could, in any way, whichever way you look at it, feel like that's right, feel that that is professional, feel that that's a good look, or feel like that wouldn't have consequences.
2: Well, that's why so many people are so angry, because two weeks later, there still really hasn't been any consequences for him, at least not from any governing body here in Spain, from FIFA, sure. And so people feel as though that the system is broken, because how can you not remove somebody like that? Somebody who is putting a stain on the country, someone who is a national embarrassment, who is a social pariah, who is public enemy number one. And also, if you let him continue in his post, you're sending a very bad message. You're sending a message that someone in that position can do what he wants, and that there won't be any repercussions, that there won't be any consequences. It sets a very dangerous precedent. So it does need to be dealt with, I think with the utmost delicacy and also the utmost importance, really. I mean, it does need to be treated very well, this whole situation. And that's why in the short term, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. There are elections one year from now, next summer, even less than a year from now, in terms of who is going to be the next Federation president. So he could be voted out if he's still even in the job by that point. And I don't suspect he'd be voted back in. Um, Obviously, we'll see what happens in parallel with the courts and so on. But in two weeks, Vilda, if he's still the coach, as you rightly say, there's definitely a lot of... um, rumours going on in Spain that his job is untenable and he's actually going to be removed sometime this week but it's more down to now negotiating his exit because in Spain by law actually if you have if you offer someone a verbal contract in the way that Rubiales did in the assembly when he said to the entire um, when he said to Vilda in front of the entire assembly I'm giving you a contract for four more years and it's half a million a year Well, by law, if you say that in front of witnesses, it's valid, even if it's not in written form and nothing's been signed. So the Federation now have to pay him two million euros if they want him gone. So I imagine that that's kind of also been part of this whole discussion as to what to do with him. But you also feel as though he has to go. There's no other way, because if he does stay, those players are not coming back. And they have games in two weeks. There's a Nations League to be played. So what happens if they don't go? Is there gonna be some kind of repercussion for the Federation? I mean, obviously they be docked points. maybe they get kicked out of the tournament, won't matter anyway, because they're not gonna go. But that's just gonna cause a whole nother set of, of fury and, and problems and issues and so on. And so this has to be dealt with relatively soon. I would say, because I think it's been made abundantly clear by these women that their morals and their ethics are more important than going and representing Spain right now. So I think they're going to stand firm and they're not going to come back, even if by Spanish law, they are required to go if they're called up. And I think if they don't go, they actually lose their their playing license. They wouldn't be allowed to play anymore. They wouldn't be federated. So, I mean, it's going to cause a whole nother storm, if you will. So that needs to be dealt with rather urgently. And also, just one final thing about the protocols you were mentioning, with the Women's National League, Domestic League, uh, in parallel to all of this, they're actually going on strike. And one of the things that they want to have changed is that they do want protocols put into place as it relates to the abuse of power in the workplace and having mechanisms in place so that women can report sexual abuse in that it can be treated uh, properly, dealt with properly, because until now, that hasn't actually been included uh, in terms of the conditions as it relates to, to the players playing within the, the, the league. So it, there's definitely fascinating conversations and things happening going on right now. Um, but again, I think something in the very immediate future does need to be, to be decided.
0: Semra, thank you so much for your insight. It's fascinating and really important to hear that Spanish viewpoint um and i've learned a lot today and i think there are plenty of other uh, journalists like me who need to learn and all those people who are listening who don't know the background story really need to know that and to know what the future uh, might hold and 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 i hope there is strength with the um with the women uh, that they can strike and they can make a protest and they can basically see Rubiales out of there and a whole restructuring of the Spanish FA. And, and let's hope that can happen with the strength of their conviction. And um, they united stand against this uh, patriarchal society that has been dominating Spanish football. Um, thank you so much for your time, Semra. It's been great to have you here. That is your football debrief. Um, my thanks to Semra Hunter, And of course, too, Fabrizio Romano, even when the window is closed, there will be plenty of news to discuss with the guru. So he will be here every week. Don't worry about that, Ben. But it will really be shut um, by next Friday.
1: Friday for Saudi Arabia. Then I think we can relax. There's still some other windows open a little bit later into September. But I think once the Saudi top flight window shuts, then the big spending will be over and I will sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You and Fabrizio. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with your debrief next week. Bye-bye.